As always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it, and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I would love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Welcome back to Second Chance Coaching. I am so excited for you to join us today. I want to especially thank and welcome all first-time listeners to the Second Chance family, and of course, an enthusiastic welcome to all our returning listeners. Today, we are particularly privileged to be joined today by one of the state of Florida's extraordinary attorneys to give us her perspectives and a conversation on her journey and the space of criminal justice reform. So I'll introduce our guest and give a short bio, and then we'll get started. Um, Yesenia Rosales is the managing attorney and owner at the law office of Yesenia Rosales LLC in Tampa, Florida, which is a firm that focuses on family and criminal law. Yesenia is a first-generation lawyer and received the Rising Professional Award from the Federal Bar Association Young Lawyers Division in 2019. Um, she she is also an advocate on their legal all. She's also an advocate on various nonprofits' legal all-star teams in 2020, 2021 and 2022. She was also recognized for her superior qualifications of leadership, reputation, influence, and stature as a top 40 under 40 trial by lawyer by the National Trial Lawyers Association. She's an active member of the Federal Bar Association, American Bar Association, and has previously served as the chair for the Diversity and Inclusion Committee of the Clearwater Bar Association, and previously a board member of the Pinellas County Latin Bar Association. So with all that said, i like to wonderfully and enthusiastically welcome Miss Yesenia Rosales Esquire to Second Chance Coaching. Yesenia, it is so good to see you again and welcome. It is good to see you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're so very welcome. So at, after that outstanding biographical introduction, which I know there's so much more that, that a top 40 under 40 has done, is there anything else that, what, what else um, fun facts about you that you want to share with us that maybe not have been covered in the intro? Fun facts. Um, I I think you covered most of it, um, other than I have two daughters. um, And recently, I have um, ventured off into real estate. I just, um, well, not just, I've had my license for a while, but I am doing commercial um, real estate also. So those are two things that I'd like to add to the bio. Um, I was formerly chair of the Florida Justice Center. I'm no longer uh, under the center, too. Um, I think you covered everything else. 
Okay, wonderful. Well, also think, but you are you're off, you're you're originally from up north, right? You know, from the northeast. Yes. Um, okay, so that's, that's, that's the that's the that's best a part. fun fact. <laughs> That's a fun fact that everyone covers for me. Um, I forgot. Yes, I am originally from up north. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I came here my senior year and went straight to uh, college from um, high school. So I did grow up in um, New Jersey. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. We won't hold that against you, but Northeast is all, all the I'll way cool. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone asks, well, why did you move to why did you move um to Florida? I said, yes, because the tropical winters in New York and New Jersey was so wonderful. I could I had to get away from it. I had to get away from it. Truth be told, I got kicked out of my house and <laughs> shipped away. <laughs> and shipped away, but I turned out all right. It was the best move um for me. I turned out all right, went to school, went to college. Um Maybe if I stayed up north, I would have not been where I am today. Well, well, let, let's get into that. Sometimes things that happen in the moment, we can look back on it and laugh on it. At the moment, you're probably not laughing. But at the, when you look back on it, you're like, you know what? I turned out all right. We did okay. So we're all right. Exactly what I so, thought. Yeah. So, so let's start um, this conversation. So tell us some of the critical points. Like what, and what were some of the critical points that brought you onto the journey to becoming a criminal defense lawyer, you know, and now that you're doing family law, what were some of the critical points that brought you to that, to brought you to the place where you are now as a lawyer? Um, Richard, I really like your question because usually, you know, I've done interviews before where they, where they ask you what made you want to be a lawyer, but yours is very specific as to a criminal defense lawyer. Um, mm -hmm. And I like that because um, truthfully, I always um, wanted to be a prosecutor, never criminal defense, right? So I always say criminal defense chose me um, through personal experiences. Um, and then once I actually went into law school, um, some professional experiences there and, and experiences with the system itself. So um, growing up, I wanted to be a prosecutor, lock up the bad guys, right? So it wasn't until I matured and learned later in life that not everyone in jail is really a quote unquote bad guy. Um, you know, people make mistakes um, as a result of different life factors. So when you learn that and you see it firsthand, um, you want to help those people in need. So that's what made me switch from prosecution to defense. Um, not a lot of people know my um, youngest child's father actually um, went to prison while I was pregnant with my youngest child and in law school um, for some offenses. right? Um, and he wasn't a bad person. I, I didn't know anything about it. But once I saw him go through that experience being pregnant, I have actually been in a person's shoes where you are going to prison to visit a loved one. You are taking a newborn child to visit their father for the first time. I've seen um, the whole process while being in law school. So that I would say was a critical turning point in my life when I was in law school um, that made me switch from wanting to be a prosecutor to a defense attorney. And then once I actually entered the field or let's say graduated law school studying for the bar, um, I still applied to be a prosecutor and I was um, declined. <laughs> and I, you know, started putting the pieces together and saying, maybe this isn't the route for me because I was um, denied and I ended up taking a my first defense case uh, was a juvenile um, who was going to be direct filed as an adult and just seeing how they handled a 17 year old who could, um, you know, potentially be behind bars for the next 10 years of his life also played a critical um, 
role in my decision making to stay defense. From there, um, I don't know, uh, I'll, I'll just share. I went solo straight from um, being barred. So a month after I was sworn in, I picked up the case. Now, now, now let me interrupt you. When you say being barred, that not being barred from anything, that means being admitted to the bar, correct? That means being admitted to oh, the bar. Okay, correct. okay. Thank you. <laughs> No problem, because when somebody hears us, like, what happened? We want to know about that. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. Um, that's like when I talk to my mom, and I'm like, mom, I'm going to jail. She's like, what do you mean you're going to jail? <laughs> I mean, to visit a client. You're right. Thank you for that correction. Um, so no, I was licensed, and then a month later, um, someone entrusted me with their 17-year-old, and I just, I, I didn't take that trust lightly, um, you know, for them to have that kind of faith in me just showed um, you know, that they believed in me, they believed in my work ethic, I was newly licensed. Um, and, and from there on, I just continued with defense work. So I really, currently, I have a passion for it. I work hard to understand my clients, their mentality, their background, upbringing. Um, like I said, I grew up in Jersey very differently than the life I'm living now. So I try to tie in all those factors and, and understand how they landed in the situation that they're in. And um, I honestly wouldn't, I don't think I ever see myself switching from criminal defense. Um, so I think those are critical um, points and factors that played um, in me becoming a defensive lawyer and remaining a, def a criminal defense lawyer. And following up on that, um, we, we have, we have um, met each other in spaces where we talked about uh, extensively about criminal justice reform and social justice movements and how, how those things matter or Maybe they, they've they, not say maybe they've always mattered, but I guess now they seem to matter more now than ever. Um, and getting cases, sometimes I, I know that when I've spoken to friends of mine who are lawyers, they, they always say that, well, the cases choose me. I don't always get to choose the case. But in your case, and in, in, in the conversations we've had, I've noticed that there's always been a, a, a commitment and an understanding of what criminal justice reform and social justice means or what it means to you. And you shared a little bit about that with us. Um, can you share a little deeper with us as far as your commitment to criminal justice reform and social justice movements? And and I know you talked about your your situation and, and talking about one of the first cases you got, but give us can you give us a, a deeper understanding as far as your commitment to these movements, to the to these um, dynamics that are going on in society right now? Sure. So there's been a few different um, social justice movements. Um, I'm sure uh, in June, excuse my dog in the background, um, excuse. Um, so, you know, in, in um, the uproar of the George Floyd pro, uh, incident um, that, that had occurred, there was a lot of protests that went on. Um, so that was a big movement nationwide that I, I think everyone's pretty familiar with um, or should be, um, where people were exercising their First Amendment rights and you know, there was a huge debate whether it was peaceful protesting or unpeaceful. Um, a lot of peaceful protesters were arrested, um, and in my opinion, unlawfully, um, right, if they're exercising their, their rights. Um, so m my participation in that was um, I volunteered pro bono to assist a lot of those who were arrested. Um, I was probably assisting more pro bono cases than I was um, on, on, paid, on a paid basis. Um, so that's the involvement I had with the social movement when, when that came about. Um, but it didn't just stop there. So 
I felt very um, strongly motivated to assist those because those those individuals, a lot of them, or a lot, at least a lot of um, the people that I helped that were unlawfully um, arrested were mainly college students in their 20s. Um, so sure, I assisted, um, you know, with their charges and through the system. But what happens when you get their case dismissed um, to the arrest is it still stays there. So from there, another movement that I, um, you know, engaged with was the formation of expungement clinics. So not only was the, the individual arrested, but then I, at the time, I didn't have um, time to take on the case, try to get it dismissed, and then proceed with the expungement process. So that was something that I did after I was done with um, the cases themselves. Then I reached out um, to anyone who needed a seal expungement. Of course, they had to qualify um, and did that. Um, I would say another criminal justice reform or social movement that I involved myself in um, was the restoration of voting rights. Um, with so, so each of these projects were with different organizations and some were by myself. Um, like the, the cases themselves were through my firm. Um, but I think that, well, I know that I was the first Tampa Bay attorney to do that on, on um, this side of Florida. Um, I mean, we were on the news all the time with um, protests, um, you know, building owners locking up their businesses. Um, I had a um, strong pull in the community to try to um, tell members of the community that this is not the right way if it was not peaceful um, and they would listen. But as far as the peaceful ones who were being arrested unlawfully, um, I assisted them. So it was kind of a median between the community um, and the between the public community and the legal community um, that I try to, I guess, bridge the gap, quote unquote. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, we've had um, numerous conversations where we, where we've talked about, you know, certainly my reentry journey and, you know, now I'm learning more about you as far as the, the, the view you've had, not only as someone who's been affected by it, but certainly as being an advocate but you know that um, as someone who's not been formally incarcerated, but you're an attorney, so you know there are numerous collateral consequences that come with someone having a criminal conviction or even something as little as an arrest. Um, from your standpoint, um, being not only that you're an attorney, but I, I could say an advocate as well, what are some consequences that you feel, and I guess we could st start with our state um, or nationally, whichever one you want to do, what are some of the collateral consequences that you think should be eliminated immediately um, for someone returning home to provide a more successful path to their reentry? Um, that's a very good question because some of the things that that can be removed immediately, um, people don't think about, and and then they find themselves in the same situation. So if they are aware, they can work on that as soon as they come out. So um, some of the simple things can be. Um, you know, not having a license that will end you, uh, land you back in jail if you are, let's say, on probation and you violate. Um, so I think that I've assisted. I, I forgot to mention in driver's license reinstatement. That's very big in Florida. Um, I have a lot of people who go to jail for being stopped driving on a suspended. They're on probation, um, and it's a trickle down effect. So I think someone coming home um, that knows that or is aware of that, um, or even if they have family on the outside right now that can take care of the issues that are holding up their license could make that um, re-entry process a lot smoother because not only 
Um, do you not risk violating probation? Do you not, you, you, you have a valid driver's license, you can um, drive, you need to drive to be able to work, right? So um, that's something simple that can be um, fixed immediately, um, or maybe even prior to you um, re-entering re the community. Um, job search, um, you know, that can obviously end homelessness because a lot of people tend to um, recommit some offenses, um, or we see that because um, they lack the resources or, um, you know, don't don't know what to do. Um, so I think re-entering into any social services um, can help anyone re-entering the community. Um, really, uh, community service, I think that, you know, people you do sometimes do community service because they're obligated to um, as part of the conditions, but I think that, um, you should really take advantage of it because if you're re-entering, you know, that's how you can network and build. Um, and that can be something that's immediately done. You don't know who can lend a helping hand, um, you know, and while you're incarcerated, I think um, take advantage of the programs that are available um, that can help you, um, you know, further your education so that you can take care of that immediately when you get out as well. Um, I think that's driver's license um make sure you get a job so housing as well. housing right right and i know i know there's a lot of housing challenges that come with come with that as well and certainly you know when when people are looking and that's something that i see when working at the college where people talk about i, I live in my car i do this i do that and i'm like wow if someone just had a place to live that almost establishes the baseline of being able, the baseline of stability is like, I have a, I have a roof over my head, so to speak, or at least not saying to provide for the roof, but to at least have, give someone that could very well pay for it, have them have access to being able to live somewhere. Right. Right. Well, Yesenia, um, share with us some of the things that you're working on now. I know, or I, I, I won't, I won't make you share everything that we talked about before we hit record, but share some <laughs> <laughs> but share some of the things that, that you're working on now. I mean, I, I, you know, it was when I read your introduction, I always knew that you were younger than me, but when you say top 40 under 40, I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. But, um, but yeah, share some of us, some, some of the projects that you're working on now that we'll see you about know, in the there's, <laughs> there's one project that I don't want to share the intricate details, but I'll give you an idea because you just mentioned something very important that, wow, if, if somebody had a roof over their head um, or they're living out of their car, that would help a lot. Um, because so it, it has something to do with that, but I, um, something I really want to work on in the future and I, and I've started digging in deeper is, um, how can I say this about disclosing it? Right. Um, is providing, um, transportation um, services so that you don't have that issue on, um, I don't have a vehicle and I can't get to work. Um, so then I'm going to lose my house. So it is a project that I'm working on because there's a lot of social um, services out there and different nonprofits that can provide reentry services as far as, um, you know, getting you ready for an interview and getting your job placement. Um, but once you get the job placement, it's up to you to get there. So how are you going to get there if you don't have the money for even public transportation um, all the time on a daily basis? So that's a project I'm working on. It has to do with that to make sure that um, if uh, recently 
um, released individuals or formerly incarcerated individuals um, need to get to work that we provide those services. Um, so I think that that's a big project um, that you know a lot of people can take advantage of and um, employers can make sure that they have um, their new employees there and we can make sure that formerly incarcerated um, individuals don't end up back in the system. Um, something else I want to do is, uh, maybe you can help me with this, is I want to teach a class in prison. <laughs> I really do. So I don't, know, I don't know how to go about doing that, um, but that's something that I want to work on, um, is teaching a class in prison, um, because I think that those that's very helpful. Um, and if you have um, a much younger person, not to, not to say anything to, to older people, but, um, that it, it can set, um, an example that, you know, you can change your pathway. Um, those are projects that I want to work on, um, that I just started diving into, but currently I am mentoring, um, some interns from, um, a summer youth program. I am speaking, I have been invited to speak to, um, a group of high school students, and um, law school students. So I think that um, students that want that don't um, see the need for college. So that those are projects that I'm working on too. Is speaking to um, students, whether they're high school students, law students, um, college students, and um, let's see what else. My own pro bono clinic. I have a list of things. Um, <laughs> My own pro bono clinic. I just have to find the time with balancing the cases. And, and um, but those are projects that I'm very passionate that one way or another, they will be done. Um, so if anybody wants to join and help me, I welcome it. Um, as it relates to prison, I forgot to mention um, anger management is something um, is a program that I want to develop for Spanish speaking um, individuals because it already exists for um, people who speak English. Um, so if you speak English, you qualify for that program for, um, domestic violence. You can get into the program. You do, I think, I think it's a 12 week program and you are released. Um, it doesn't exist. However, if you don't understand English, if you can't read and write in English, you don't qualify for the program. So that's something that I think is unfair and it needs to be, um, leveled out because, you know, from the, from the inside of the jail, um, one individual is saying how we're, you know, we're charged with the same thing. How come he can take this program and I can't? And it's just because of the language barrier. So that's a project that I, um, I want to work on to make it even and equal. Um, so I have my hands full, but those are some projects so far. Oh, that's great. I may, I may, I may give you some more hands. More, I may give you more things to make your hands full. I didn't get a chance to tell you this before we started recording. I'm, um, I'm going to be teaching. We we've created the well, not we. The college has created a, a through their workforce development office a diversion program in cooperation with the state attorney's office here in Broward County, where they are giving clients the option of basically incarceration or college. And um, I was asked because it's funny when people when you put yourself out there, people know what it is that you do, then they come to you. And they I was asked to teach the student life skills course about, you know, to the students, probably more the second half of the summer and give them an idea about what college is like, what they should be doing in college, what, what they should be, what majors they want to go guide themselves towards, you know, that, that are not criminally disqualifiable. 
um, and just basically, you know, set the foundation as they go into programs such as automotive, um, supply chain management, um, definitely other technology um, um, majors in which they could utilize those skills to basically get some sort of employment opportunity in a short amount of time. So I may be, I may, I may not um, say get a top 40 under 40 lawyer to actually come to Broward County, but certainly maybe on the Zoom call one day, talk to the, <laughs> talk to the students one day. And, you know, don't worry, I'll, uh, I, I, you know, we, we don't, we don't do anything for free. If worse come to worse, I'll get you an Amazon gift card, you know. That's a 40 minute flight. I don't mind going. <laughs> if you're in okay. person, I'll, I'll fly. My brother lives okay. in Miami. I was there twice this month already. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I don't well, mind meeting them. If I can help, by all means. Listen, I, I listen, I knew you would say yes, and not because the recording's on, because I just know that's the that's the type of person you are. I, I really thank you for that. Thank um you. so so when people want to know what's going on with you and God forbid if they have a case and they need they need a great lawyer that could sit there and you know put the system to their knees. What social media platforms can they follow that people could follow you on? Um, I have I have Facebook. I'm not very active on it, but it's just my first and last name. I am very active on Instagram, um, which is I almost forgot my Instagram. It's Senya S E N I dot E S Q. Um, and I'll definitely put it in the show notes, your Instagram, so people could follow it and stuff like that. Absolutely. All right. Well, Yesenia, it has been awesome to see you and to hear you and to talk to you and to catch up with you to see how you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.